hard times, but I'm on my way. Had a mighty hard time, but I'm on my way. It's a mighty hard climb, but I'm on my way. Hello and welcome to Beyond Bechdel, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera, and this is our first episode of the podcast in 2021. Hopefully a better year than the shit show that was 2020. Obviously, politics is in the forefront of the collective world consciousness at the moment. And the film and TV industries have been dealing with political scandal and the machinations of politics for many years, in fact, from the inception of cinema. I've asked Nick back to the podcast so we can talk about the relationship between what's on screen and what's happening in government around the world. Here's our episode. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Even though it's nearly the end of January. Well, I don't know. There's still a way to go. Um, I thought we'd have this episode because of the crazy times that we live in. Isn't that why we only, isn't that the reason why we always have a, a podcast? <laughs> well, I've been doing it before there was a pandemic. No. That might shock you. As usual, we have been watching films and I feel like that particularly during the last year because there's been less content available perhaps or at least because we haven't been able to go into the cinema um you and I have both watched many older movies because we've decided to delve into the back catalogue rather than view new things are are there any new things (laughs) well there's wonder woman we haven't seen yet but um uh in terms of the theme of this episode of the podcast which unfortunately is politics um probably not that much new um have you enjoyed watching these older films i always enjoy watching older films why um I think it's just good to go back through as as many different genres and directors and filmmaking styles as you possibly can. I mean, it's, it's just an interest. I mean, I have an interest in film, and therefore I'm going to go back you know, all the way through the decades, right back to the silent era. So you don't mind when the film was made? No, not. I, I think there are there are. I'd say standards uh, which were lower at certain points in history, uh, which I'm not, I'm, I just don't feel I've got the time to really uh, dedicate too much to that. Do you mean like films in the 1920s? Or, uh, or, or early 30s. I mean, uh, they're not all terrible, uh, don't get me wrong, but I think the general standard is, is poorer um, before okay. a certain point. Um. 
Yeah, I think that I've been pleasantly surprised by older films in terms of my personal enjoyment because I think there were some really good stories made and sometimes I think the art of storytelling has fallen by the wayside, especially because of the invention of CGI and a focus on action and set pieces. And, you know, if you look at Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, for example, it's just in each next movie in the franchise, what crazy thing's going to happen next, (laughs) rather than let's get into some serious melodrama. And I feel like, particularly some of the films I've seen in the 50s and 60s, I think, there has been more focus on people talking to one another as well as the action. Maybe because there just wasn't the ability um yeah i think you're right i think there is um i think one thing you probably have to sort of remember is you're probably only watching the cream of what's made Uh, well maybe not just the cream maybe the cream and just below the cream but i suspect that when when, you know 90 percent of the films that were made just weren't really up to standard and then and history's kind of forgotten about as in older films older films yeah Yeah. Uh, whereas modern films i've been inclined to watch all of them um so i I just wonder whether or not you get the same uh, you know whether if i'm being fair um there are just as many poor old films as there are poor new films as well but i just don't watch the poor old ones yeah because you can't get access to them yeah and and you you rely on uh, reputation as much as anything part of what's going on with modern cinema is that we rely on streaming services to get things and therefore you can only watch what's available for you. Don't even get me started on that. It does my head in. But there is a lot available on Prime, for example. Amazon, as you were telling me, Amazon is the owner of Love Film. Yes? Uh, Yeah, I think it was always their service. Um, Love Film is a UK thing. Um, oh, is it called? Is it just called Prime? Uh, well, I mean, Love Film as it used to exist. Um, Someone in the US? No, I don't, so. oh. I don't think so. Don't think so. It was it was a DVD rental service, same as what Netflix was in the US. Oh, um, so maybe Netflix was the equivalent. And, and, it, and then and then it kind of morphed into um, as Amazon began to sort of pull that back and, and dedicate more to streaming. It just became Amazon Prime at that point. It's not even it's Amazon Instant Streaming or whatever it's called these days. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. What I have found through viewing older films is that everything that we're going through in the world right now from a political vantage point seems to have happened before. <laughs> okay. In some, in some sense. I'm not sure there's ever been a Donald Trump, um, but there has been situations where the military has become too close to the center of american government where there have been coups where there have been people in charge who maybe shouldn't be in charge uh different factions fighting so i thought for this episode we could share with viewers some older films that we've watched which can act as a teaching moment right now. Now, some people might be listening to this and thinking, no, thanks. The last thing I want when I watch movies is to watch something that's reminding me of the modern day. However, when I've watched these films, I've actually found it quite 
comforting to know that these situations have been thought of before, whether it's in reality or in the mind of a screenwriter mm-hmm. and producer and director. And I advise people to not give up on these movies because it's not necessarily all bad news. Would you agree? That it's not all necessarily bad news. But it's comforting to watch a political movie from the past in these current troubled political times. And uh, that and that being because they they show things that that, are, that might be happening now that have happened in the past. Is that yeah, what? that kind of it. Well, 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 mm. well, you don't have to answer that. Well, well, why do you like to watch a political film? Um, well, I, I, I'll tell you a couple of things. I mean, firstly. I like to watch old films, period, but I think that's due to a... They're just comforting. It, it, I mean, you, you, you use that word, but I mean, like they are quite reassuring. Everything is established. There's there's production codes. It, oh, so yours is a different kind of comfort. Well, the, 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 this is just a general observation. Yeah, this is a general observation <laughs> of older films. There is something... I love people like, you know, if you watch Hitchcock films, they're all... It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter if Jimmy Stewart's falling off a clock tower. Mm. It, it, it's... Um, <laughs> There's something quite nice about them all, you know. That they're, they're very, they look very nice, and there's, I don't know, there's, it's just very reassuring. You, you think you think standards are slipping? No, <laughs> yeah. There's just there's no values in current, but that's just that's just a general observation about and old films. And that's just old films. Yeah. yeah. But what about a political, a political film? Um, it is. It is. I, I think there are different eras here. I, I think if you go pre 1960, they tend to be more. Uh, in enforcement of the uh, establishment um, that is generally uh, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Then from about 1960 onwards, you, didn't, you, you gradually see that erode away into, into paranoia and various waves of paranoia that sort of grip cinema. Um, and it, it's interesting to see how that sort of all plays out. Um, you, you've got to take it all in the context that, that it, of the time that it's that it's made. Yeah. You know, what, what were the issues that were faced at the time and well, so on and so forth. I actually think it's quite comforting to be paranoid or to find that people were paranoid <laughs> in the past. And I'm not saying, you know, be an anti-vaxxer or something like that. But I just mean, is it OK to have a healthy distrust in government i certainly think that there are whole eras i think the 1970s is the obvious one when when there was mass mistrust of uh you know big politics and so on and so forth Mm. and just a general sense of paranoia in the film industry as well and so on that basis i think we should talk about five movies that we have watched and why we think they're worth either a first time or a rewatch Mm-hmm. for listeners today and they should all be available on streaming or other services although you might have to pay rental fees you, well it depends where you're doing it from yeah. like, i think in the uk you could have to yeah yeah i don't know about necessarily in the states and we have listeners all over the world so i can't possibly comment about all the different systems however amazon and netflix seem to be everywhere yeah so, so they're not the same yeah. as services are they like the, the netflix of of the us is not quite the same as the netflix no. of the uk they don't get quite the same content no they probably get much more yeah i bet they do as well okay so on this basis i'm going to time us um do you think 10 minutes is enough 10 Shall we minutes. see how it goes you can start 
and we want to know what the film is and maybe a bit about who stars and who directed it. Sure. Um, what this film means to you in terms of the current political state and why people should watch it. Okay. So you're going to go first. I'm going to go first. Okay. <laughs> yes. Throw me, throw me on there at the deep end. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Sorry. Set the timer. Yeah. Are you going to intercede with questions? Yes, I will. I will okay. Because I don't know if I can talk for a solid <laughs> 10 minutes. No one wants to hear me talk for a solid 10 minutes. I don't minutes. know. We've had some podcasts that have been two hours, so I think mm. maybe you can. Maybe I've been interrupting you. Right, are you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so the first film is a film by John Frankenheimer um, called Seven Days in May. It's, the, it's actually the mid-film of a sort of what you might call a paranoia trilogy that Frankenheimer did, starting with the Manchurian Candidate, um, and then then they did, he did um, Seven Days in May and finished it up with a film called Seconds. Um, this particular film, um, th- th- this particular film, um, is centres on the military element of uh, what you might call paranoia, I suppose. Uh, in particular, there's coups and so on and so forth. So the basic plot of the film is that the president, who I think is played by Frederick March, um, is on the verge of signing a non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union. This is 1964 we're talking here, so this is a big deal. First question, what's a non-aggression pact? Well, nuclear disarmament, in, ah, in, in okay. essence. Um, yeah. Uh, not wholly unsurprisingly, the powerful US military isn't entirely happy with it. And out of that come two characters, Burt Lancaster, who plays a very high ranking general who is particularly unhappy with it and thinks that um, the president is selling the future of America. And his kind of subordinate, second in command, played by Kirk Douglas, who... Uh, May feel the same way, I don't really know, but but is also dedicated to the principles of America in the same way. So if the president says we're doing it, then he's then Kirk Lexus is going to obey. Uh, thereafter ensues a plot starts to develop where uh, Burt Lancaster, using very Hitler-esque techniques, okay. where he goes out there and starts, you know, whipping up crowds and so on and so on and so forth, gains great popularity. And he comes up with a plot to effectively, um, it's a coup, in essence, a coup that never, that take pl- takes place, takes place in May, seven, over seven days in May, a coup to remove the president of the United States and replace himself as the new president. But I would like to interject here and say, if I remember rightly, when I watched the film, mm. you don't know it's a coup until the end of the film. You know, no, you, you, you no, know, there are, there are enough suspicious points to go along. And Kirk is looking around. And he's like, there's secret messages going on. Well, Kirk is the one that discovers this coup. He discovers it relatively early. It's not that late that he discovers it. And he lets the president know about it. Again, his dedication to the the Constitution and so on and so forth. And so the president fights back by attempting to do various things, by gathering information, even potentially mudslinging as well, just to try and stop Burt Lancaster. Um... As the plot plays out, it goes on and on. And in the final analysis, Burt Lancaster, they eventually use a piece of damning and incriminating evidence. Should I stop you at this point and say, are we going to spoil all these films? Well, yeah, maybe maybe we'll we'll go back to the start. We'll go back in time to the start and we'll say spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Yeah. Uh, But in the the final analysis, um, Burt is, um, his plot is foiled um, by the use of personal information and and he sort of backs off and goes off into the background. Um, and the public never know how close the United States was to a military coup. That's 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 the idea. 
Um, it's a really good film. I really like it. Why do you think it's a really good film? Uh, from a visual perspective, I think uh, I, I could be wrong about this. So I better be careful what I say. But I believe the cinematography was James Wong Howe again, wasn't it? I think it was. When you say again, well, we've seen a few films with him in uh, with with him doing cinematography. Yes, he was very famous in that era. When was this film made? Uh, Sixty four. Mm. Um, it, it's very. I mean, if you ever see any of his films, you, you kind of know they're very instantly identifiable. It's very black sharp, and, sharp black and white. Black and white. A lot of sh- scenes at night. It was quite common at the time to shoot night scenes during the day and then just sort of dark them afterwards but all James Wong house scenes are shot are genuinely shot at night uh, Sweet Smell of Success is a, it's a good example of it actually mm-hmm. um, so the, it has a sort of very edgy sharp look to it I also love Burt Lancaster he's one of my favourite actors mm-hmm. of all time um, and he can play anything can't he he's, he's very, very, vers- very yeah. versatile but he can be bad and he can be good yeah and I think um so can Kirk Douglas actually mm. so they're probably very well placed yeah um it is an interesting sort of I think given the context of the time I mean the 60s are are a period of great political turmoil we're talking about here this would have been released what a couple of years after the Cuban Missile Crisis Kennedy was assassinated the previous year so this was a pretty hot topic you're talking about here Uh, I think to release it at that point and basically say this is how close you were to a military coup I think that there's, there's an element of um, the public not knowing about it. There's things that go up in the high level of politics and the high level of military that the public just aren't aware of. Um, we all like to think that, that these people at the top are all are all knowing that they make wise, sage decisions. But actually, I think the reality is closer to seven days in May. I think it's actually a lot of self-interest, and I'd be surprised if you weren't. There aren't times in history where we have been fairly close to that sort of thing, and I've just managed to pull back. Um, Relevancy to today? Yeah. Well, I think it's fairly obvious, isn't it? I mean, um, very recent event. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are so many scenes in the film that you could look at and say. I mean, I, I mean, I mentioned the scene before where Burt Lancaster sort of whips up an audience into into, into fever. I mean, God, if, if, if that's not relevant to what what's mm. going on now, then I don't know what is. Also, just exactly how what's going on in the background, how how who's making decisions and where is is it's quite alarming. Um, of how close the presidency comes to falling at the hands of a, mil- of a military coup. Now, I think in, in the current climate, you might say, well, it's probably the opposite is actually true. How close was, for example, President Trump to using the military to maintain, you know, to um, maintain a victory in the uh, November election? I, I don't know, but there were stories about it, certainly. In fact, so much so that the military came out and said that that was not their job. They expressly stated that, just just to sort of make sure that everyone knew that they weren't going to do that. Um, but you don't like to think that sort of thing. You always like to think, no, no, people will see sense. People will, they'll, they'll, they'll get there, and they'll. There's a constitution, and there's this, and there's that, and the people with the knowledge, they will make the right decision. But actually, I, I think you get a lot closer to the line than you really believe, or you'd like to believe. So, seven days in May is about when the military decides that they should be in power yes. because they don't like what the man in power is doing the duly elected official we yeah. should say <laughs> well so, so we think in the film mm. um and reality is that the duly elected official of the current government wanted to use the military to prevent the next government mm. so it's not exactly the same but i suppose the moral there is 
for American politics, at least, if not elsewhere in the world, the military or military industrial complex is a really fundamental part of government and can be manipulated if we're not careful. Uh, Well, what what it's really saying in some sort of way is... If you believe that Burt Lancaster is acting um, sincerely and he loves his country, then I think you draw a different conclusion than if you think he's acting in self-interest in him himself as a general. Keep in mind, he has no interest in there being a nuclear disarmament pact um, from his own personal perspective. Yeah, but he's very Trumpian. Yeah, but he may also, I mean, if you... If, <laughs> If you want to read it that way, he may also believe that uh, it's bad for America at the same time. Oh, yeah, there's that too. So maybe we're actually saying, if you're a Republican, don't watch this film. (laughs) (laughs) You might get ideas. If you're you're someone who wants to storm the Capitol. Well, ultimately, the film does prevail on the side of duly elected officials. Um, are the decision makers, not not anybody else, for any reason. Yeah, I feel like... um, the moral lesson is about chain of command. There's a chain of command for a reason. But in current times, like, Burt Lancaster is not the person at the top. He he is the person with the most power from a military perspective. But I wonder what Seven Days in May would have been like if it was switched round and it was actually about a president who didn't want to well, there's a, it's, it's a, a, well, it's a, a, there's the moral conundrum here. Yeah, what by the if, way, one minute. Remaining. Okay. What if, what if the, the president in seven days of May was doing something that you might regard as morally repugnant and actually it was the military that was saving him? Well, the truth of the matter is it doesn't really matter in a democracy because it's the person that's elected that gets to make the decisions. That, that is in theory the end of it. But that's the scary thing about democracy because mm. if you inadvertently cough, cough, um, vote in the wrong person because you think they're going to do one thing and they're going to do another and then they turn out to be a crazy lunatic mm-hmm. is democracy correct there? Well, P- uh, people can be fooled they can, they can but you'd hope that there is enough apparatus in place for them to not be removed but but would leave of their own accord in the end it's, it's where you start to toggle with that where, it, where I think it becomes a problem mm. so in other words the rules are the rules. Um, democracies are democracies, and and that's it. Don't play with it. And good people will work towards preserving, mm. um, you know, the sanctity of government and cool heads prevailing, and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, indeed. How much time have I got? Oh, it's run out. Oh, literally just now. Yeah. Wow. It's not very loud. It's almost like I could. I've got an internal timer in my head. Okay. How'd I do? Very good. Okay. We didn't talk about women. Are there any women in the film? Uh, There are, but I can't remember who it is. It's actually quite an important plot point. (laughs) So, we've now had our woman check-in. Tell me again about the famous woman. Yeah, it is, it is, it is Ava Gardner. You failed your 10 minutes. I, I apologise. No. Yes, Ava Gardner. And she does imply, she does play an important role in the film in terms of uh, the, the, the blackmail or the undermining of Burt Lancaster, because I think she's uh, Burt Lancaster's lover, I believe, in the film. She kind of ends up being both of their lovers. Yeah, yeah. She does. She does, yes. Yeah. And, and Kirk Douglas gathers the information yeah. to use against Burt Lancaster, yeah. which he does use in the end. Yeah which I suppose does also resonate with modern day. Mm-hmm. This film, I'm pretty sure, does not 
pass the Bechdel test. If it does, it's because there's some soiree and Ava Gardner talks to a waitress or something, which mm. is a load of odd bollocks. But I wouldn't say that's the point of seven days in May. And particularly in those days, it probably was mostly men in those positions of power in government. Um, so I would say, yes, it I almost can, entirely was, I yeah. I can forgive it. And also, seeing anyone black on screen, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, so it's failed a lot of those tests. But that's not the point. The point of this is politics and uh, holding a mirror up to today's society in seven days in May does that very well. Mm. Okay, my turn now. Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen of the committee, uh, remarkably enough, it seems that I have some explaining to do. So let me be absolutely clear. I stand for a woman's right to choose. I stand for the elimination of the death penalty. I stand for strong and growing armed forces because we must stomp out genocide on this planet. And I believe that that is a cause worth dying for. I stand for seeing every gun taken out of every home, period. I stand for making the selling of cigarettes to our youth a federal offense. I stand for term limits and campaign reform. And Mr. Chairman, I stand for the separation of church and state, and the reason that I stand for that is the same reason that I believe our forefathers did. It is not there to protect religion from the grasp of government, but to protect our government from the grasp of religious fanaticism. Okay, three, two, one. My film is called The Contender, and it is written and directed by a man called Rod Lurie, who you may not have heard of. I don't think you'd heard of him I hadn't, before no, this. No. And this was the very pinnacle of his career because it kind of went a bit downhill after that. The film stars Joan Allen, uh, Jeff Bridges and Gary Oldman. And Jeff Bridges is the president. And for some reason, he needs a new vice president. Maybe the existing vice president has died or retired. I don't think he's had a scandal or anything. And initially, he wants to have William Peterson, who is famous for being Grissom in CSI, who is a senator, I'm guessing, um, wants him to be the VP. And there is an accident where he tries to save... a. Peterson's character tries to save a woman who's drowning and he doesn't quite do it and the woman drowns and even though like he didn't really do anything wrong uh Jeff Bridges has um Sam Elliott as his like um uh, whatever is his chief of staff and political operative and Sam Elliott says no you can't have this this still looks bad he, the woman died after you tried to say it. we've had some bad um scandal in this government already and so therefore we can't someone has to be perfect we can't have you as the vp we're going to have to interview some other people and the person who's at the top of the list is a woman called hudson and that's played by joan allen and she would be the first woman to become vice president and the film follows her story 
as she has to go through some confirmation hearings because as I understand it she needs to be I, I believe that Jeff Bridges plays a democratic president but the senate which has to confirm Joan Allen as the VP is headed up by Gary Oldman's character who's called Shelley um, and I think he's a republican so he already has a kind of you, you get this idea of this misogynistic or old-fashioned values uh, person and he obviously leads a team of senators one of them includes this young hungry Christian Slater played character which is quite funny he's very kind of republican ideological which I don't think is a character you really see anymore um uh and they uh, you get the idea as you go through the film that Shelley doesn't really want Hudson to be the VP because she's a woman. And at the very start of the hearings, it's found out that when Hudson was in college, she was filmed in basically a gangbang. I don't know what you call these things nowadays. I would definitely call it a gangbang. <laughs> but she is filmed. There is a video of purportedly to be her sucking a man's cock while she's being shagged by another man or something like that. And you only see it for a, for a second. But basically, it's quite a a dubious, scandalous video, <laughs> which is leaked to the press and therefore... The hearings kind of are a, a playground for a, a discussion about morality and particularly the difference between if you're interviewing a woman or a man for this political role and whether there are double standards at play. And I absolutely love this film because I think every person mm. in it is at the top of their game. I think jo Joan Allen probably doesn't even get these many roles. I can't think of her in too many other things. I've always thought she's a great actress, but she's always kind of played a wife character. Yeah. And for her to be the person who has then the husband um, is really interesting. And the, the I forget the name of the guy who plays her husband, but I love that character because yeah. he's really, really supportive and he defends her, but he has no ego with the fact that it's not him. And I think he works in politics as well, but I don't think he's a senator. Mm. And there's a really interesting scene as well because she has, um, is it Philip Baker Hall? Is that his name? I think it is, the actor who's in Magnolia and mm, yeah, I think I know PGA you mean. films. And he plays her dad and he's a Republican. So well, another thing is she she's found to swap parties before. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's critical actually um, in terms of the motivation behind Gary Oldman as well. I mean, I think he utilises yes. elements of, of a double standards absolutely. But I think he has it personally yeah. against her for that reason. Yeah, and so the film is basically, nowadays you get a lot of Aaron Sorkin written films of which I absolutely love but you get a certain tone and a certain way that American politics is portrayed it's either what Aaron Sorkin writes or it's some show like For the People which you haven't seen which is like um is it a Shonda Rhimes show but is it like a you know these classic these classic tv shows or you have reality and I think that The Contender is actually much closer to what both Kamala Harris went through uh, but obviously she didn't have to have a confirmation because she was a running mate, so it wasn't nearly as bad for her. And also, um, probably more relevant, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings when he was to become a Supreme Court justice and the evidence given by uh, Christine Blasey Ford and all of that kind of... There's a real mirroring of the double standards between um, talking to a man and talking to a woman about their potential... Uh, the 
I, I don't want to say immorality because I don't think I agree with that but the kind of you know standards of ethics and morals in society and um, Joan Allen is amazing and the character she plays is basically perfect and keeps her cool all the way through but also she's incredibly stoic she always stays true to herself and she won't ever comment on her private life which is something that actually I don't think could happen nowadays because the press is so voracious and it's hunting down and destroying of people's reputation if something like this was to happen like even to Kamala Harris I think maybe maybe she'd even have been removed from the ticket if this came mm. out maybe before Biden won the presidency um Gary Oldman is amazing in this film. He's really, really, his character's good. Um, I've watched him recently in uh, other films where he has an English accent. He obviously comes from London. But I think his American accent's really good. And his character's very interesting um, because even though he's going after people, the comparison with today's world is that everyone is more bloody and less um Machiavellian and I think he's a very Machiavellian character Shelley and one of the best things about the film is Jeff Bridges he's such a good president you don't really he reminds me of Obama even though I feel like Obama is probably more left-wing than this president but there's just something about the way that he always says the right thing he's always true to himself but he you don't exactly know how he feels about things and he's very comfortable in rooms with people and he's such a he's I hate saying this but he's like a red-blooded male president yeah and another reason why Lurie made the film I heard is that one he wanted to make something for his daughter because to showcase the misogyny that was in politics that he didn't feel like was was in films of the time and also secondly this film was made just after the Bill Clinton issues and obviously the way that Monica Lewinsky has been treated by the media and I think this film is a direct reaction okay I've got two and a half minutes mm, what yeah. else do I need to say what um, did you think of this film did you like it yeah I did I, I did I, I do think that the yes the parallel to Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky is relevant um also just a general um I, I think I think the 90s is the beginning of genuine um partisanship in the Senate and the House in America um, and I think this film sort of tries to encapsulate that the, the extent that they're prepared to mudsling um, with each other including um, Jeff Bridges in the end um, yeah sort of but he's really clever about it the Sam Elliott character is great as well because you, when you're a president you need a bulldog and well, he's the bulldog well, defending the, the, thing, the thing about it is this you, 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 are you going to spoil again because I've managed to go through no no but I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is all I'm saying is if, if there's a point to well one there's many points to this but I mean uh, nice guys don't win in politics and I think Jeff Bridges in the end um, exemplifies oh, that maybe yeah he's not his character is never truly a nice guy but you get the impression that the public love him this this film is so well made that it never focuses on him except yeah. he makes this amazing rousing speech and he's yeah. very integral to yeah. the film you can see why he took it because you could argue it's not a lead mm. he's in it a lot but this film is about Joan Allen and then next you'd probably say is Gary Oldman because it's yeah. protagonist antagonist but 
he's he's in it in would you say he's probably in it about a third of it Jeff Bridges yeah he's not in but it but he commands yeah yeah screen. yeah he's in it he could be president he, he <laughs> could be president him. it's almost like he is president <laughs> yeah. I, I, one thing I'd say about it is, is the extent to which mudslinging takes place in this and, yeah. and, and it and what I'd say is and the media as well yeah but what I'd say is it, it is it is deemed to be sticky mud that's going to hurt whichever candidate yes. if there's one thing I'd say about modern politics is that is no longer necessarily the case um, I think certain politicians are made of Teflon and no matter what you sling at them it, will, it won't affect their electability Is there also an argument to be made that the film shows that if you behave in a certain way because there are things that happen that I'm not going to say because I don't want to spoil it because I think it's a really good ending but there are things that happen at the end of that film which make you realise that integrity is prized over I'm, and we'd love it if that was the case, the wouldn't business. we? Yeah. Well, I like to think that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden can be. I think they can be bulldogs. Woo, that is loud. Okay, well, that, that timer is over. <laughs> that I, is haven't, I haven't um, managed to say that this film does pass the Bechdel test. The thing is, even though this film has a lead character who is a woman... Everyone else in this film virtually is a man. Mm. And I know that probably is representative yeah. of how things are. And um, it, there, there aren't really people of colour in it. There's a few minor people in it, but you could have put people, you know, more prominent place but then you've got these amazing white actors who are very famous in these roles. Um, Alan does get to speak to a few people and it does pass the test, but this film could pass the test much more. It's not like Seven Days in May where that would probably be shoehorning a woman into a role which might have seemed strange in the 60s. This being, you know, only 20 years ago, you could definitely have had some other female characters. Yeah. Like, but, but then um, she's the first ever generation. It's supposed to be about the first person and it's supposed to be about yeah. a woman in a man's world. But The Contender, I saw it on Prime, I think. Absolutely amazing film. Highly recommend it. Extremely pertinent for what's happened in the last few years. Third film is a film called Elma Gantry, which is based on a, a book written in 1926 uh, by Sinclair Lewis. Is he famous? I don't know. I think this. Wikipedia didn't say that. <laughs> Um, a famometer. Um, starring uh, Burt Lancaster and uh, Gene Simmons. And I forget who directed it, actually. Who, who did direct it? You talk and I'll find out. Um, no, no, you, I, you carry on. Yeah, got confused. I thought I was doing the finding out. <laughs> um, I haven't um, seen it, so you um, need it's, to it's, it's, me. It's, um, the film is about, um, in essence, the, the rise of a... Um, evangelical charlatan uh, by the name of Elmer Gantry who has a sort of sordid past where I think he wanted to be a priest and that didn't work out for him because he's had too many indiscretions and he's a bit of a salesman he, he looks the part he looks you know, great hair. Yeah, looks the part he, he talks the right talk but he just doesn't really have any conviction um, and Burt Lancaster plays this role fabulously well he won an Oscar for it actually um and he gets his hooks into, eventually, a sort of evangelical circus run by uh, Gene Simmons, who basically goes around America on a train preaching to the masses. Um, this is written in 1926. About, so, about God. About God. Uh, this is written in the 20s when, when it, it really did have quite a lot of power. Um, 
And initially, she's quite suspicious of um, of Burt Lancaster, thinking that he's an, he's not a genuine person, and you know, suspicions are actually probably quite correct. Um, but she eventually sort of lets him in a little bit more, a little bit more, and and the sort of salesman in him gradually begins to sort of take over because he's able to command audiences and say things in in, the, in these rallies and really whip up support in, in a way that she really can't. She, she's, a, she's a believer and he's really not, but he's better at selling it. What, whipping up support for Jesus? Yeah. Is, it, is that what... Uh, well, that's what yeah, evangelicals do, aren't they? It, it's essentially just, just believe in God and follow this path and so on. And so on. But he's very good at it. He, he's like your classic sort of American, you know, modern evangelist who's basically on TV and saying, don't Money. Um, well, he's like the 1960 version of a TV yeah, evangelist. Yeah, 1960 like, version yeah, playing a 1920s version, I should say. Yeah, okay. um, but he's so, it's set, so it's set in the 20s when. Yeah, the it is. It is, and he's very, very good at it. He, and and mm. and she eventually starts to believe that maybe he maybe he is a believer. Maybe because he he, he he gradually takes centre stage more and more. But um, he does have some indiscretions in his past. And he does have sort of enemies who uh, try and uncover that. And and I think at one point, I think it is revealed he tried to become a priest, but he had slept with various women and so on and so forth. Now, of course, part of the, part of the the evangelism is that he is supposed to be uh, supposed to main, yeah yeah maintain God. a vow of chastity or something of that nature. Um, so there's no romantic relationship. No, th- between no. Them. Well, he do- no, there is. He he. He really does love her, and he, he tries to woo her several Aww. times. But she is a believer, and, and and she and all of which seeks. She loves God. Yeah, and and so it all undermines his position. Um, it, it eventually, it, it goes on and it goes on, and eventually um, things turn a bit nasty and a bit disastrous. Um, and there is a fire um, at one of their one of their events. Um, Elmingham. Oh, are we getting into spoiler alert? Well, a, a little bit, yeah, because okay. I think it's quite important that um, Elmingantry has a sort of dose of realism, realizing people have to get out, and in particular, Gene Simmons has to get out, and she believes that it's God that oh, has made no, this fire and, and God stuff. God will save her, and of course, God doesn't save oh. her. Oh. And so uh, you drop that bombshell. <laughs> well, well, well. It, it's it's important to note that because because and it's at the very end. Yeah, it okay. is. It is. And and in, in the sort of final analysis, as the dust sort of settles, he's sort of left to wonder what he's actually done, and and what you know was any of it particularly good, um, and 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 what did he have some sort of indirect cause of her death? Well, he didn't start the fire, but he 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 you know maybe her believing a little bit too much it of what caused it. It's always burning since the world's been turning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's the basic essence of it—the the evangelical kind of train that runs around America in the 1920s. The director is Richard Brooks, who I've never heard of. Yeah, he's been nominated for eight Oscars, and he made *Count on Hot Tim Roof*, um, *In Cold Blood*, a film called *Looking for Mr. Goodbar*, which I've heard of. So really, I should know who he is. Mm. Do you know who he is? Uh, I do know some of those films. Yeah. I think I may have heard his name before, but I, I, I yeah, not yeah. not massively familiar with. I love Count the Hot Tim Roof, which I don't think you've seen, have you? No, but anyway, I sorry, yeah. digression. Richard Brooks. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's the essence of it. Now, it, it, I think there's a lot of relevance here in terms of a charlatan standing in front of a group of people <laughs> spouting whatever he thinks, he or she thinks that the audience wants to hear and galvanizing support in that way it, the whole process is immune to fact checking to 
everything, any degree of truth, all you have to do is get the people on your side. And this is something that Elmer Gantry knows and realizes at his heart, he is a salesman, he is a charlatan, he understands all this. And Jean Simmons doesn't really get it. She just thinks that what's important is the purity of the message. But it is Elmer Gantry's way that does actually work. Now, I think there's a fairly obvious parallel there between, um, look, if you just stand up in front of people and say the right thing, whether it's right, wrong, true, false, doesn't matter. Um, it, it's just a case of, will the people follow you? If you say it the right way, will they follow you? And the answer to the, from the film is absolutely yes, they will. I think the difference between this and our current reality, though, is that it seems to me that Bert Lancaster's character, uh, Elmer Gantry, if you will, uh, seems to have some kind of moral reckoning at the end of the film. Um, yes. And he, <laughs> Which may not be happening not, in real life. He's not devoid of morals, in you know, uh, uh, completely. Yeah. Um, it's just that his goals in all of this are one to, 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 to I guess, find out who he is, to, to, to be something, to become somebody, yeah. and two, he has you know romantic feelings towards Gene Simmons, but they they don't they're not really achievable goals. You know, you know, for him to woo Gene Gene Simmons is going to have is is going to require her to completely lose her faith. Well, isn't there an irony there that? I thought it sounds like the message of the film is that he can sell anything to anyone, but he's a fool because he's fallen in love with someone. The one thing he can't control, mm. he can try and sell the idea, but, but, she, but she'll never buy the product because it means getting rid of all of her. Well, he's trying to. He's selling a certain thing to a group of people, yeah, but, but how he, he can't sell himself to her. Yeah, because but well, because what he's saying to her is a one eighty complete opposite of what he's saying to everybody else. So he's really just saying. I mean, I think he has feelings towards her that yeah. are genuine, um, but it, it kind of undoes his reputation with her. He ultimately. can't have it both. He can't, ways. he can't have it both ways. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's he does get his comeuppance in the end, or or to the extent that Gene Simmons dies at the end. Yes, he, he does get his comeuppance, um, but the ease with which he was, he's able to achieve all this is is I think the important it's factor. The prescient yeah, part. Um, he he just he 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 just is able to make the right noises at the right times mm. um, because he knows how to do it, and they don't. They they don't really understand it. Um, and, and in spite of the fact that there are millions of people at all of these shows that, that love them, that really believe, mm. um, but then, but only when Elmer Gantry comes along d does it really start to erupt. You know, d does the support really start to grow? And it's so, um, there's a point there about leadership. Then, if you get the right leader, like I know there's the negative aspect, which I think is obvious for all to see. But let's talk about it more positively. That sounds like to me that the the reckoning is that people want a leader people are crying out for a strong leader i think you're right i think that's absolutely right um and what you just hope is that strong leader has a conscience uh, a, a conscience <laughs> and an accurate moral compass whatever you want to call it isn't crazy i mean ultimately elmer gantry is is a relatively harmless character in the end um but you do wonder well what if that person what if that person had particularly uh, nefarious intentions and, and a similar amount of charisma. So, you, so Elmer Gantry is more about a man who gets like dragged into something because of how good he is at salesmanship. Yeah. 
So, but he never convinces himself. No, he, he's yeah. he, he's smart enough to recognise what he's doing. But he gets validation from audience love. Which um, is I think thing. so. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the more the more they shout his name, the, the more he wants it. I think would. Yeah. Um, so th- there th- is a vanity. Yeah, and I suppose you are you are left with thinking, well, he's okay. He, he he's not entirely devoid of morals, so it's okay in the end. Mm. But it, there is there are lots of warning signs in there about mm. this about the, the ease with which people. People jump on, on, and it's not the fact that it's it's uh, Christianity or anything like that. It could be anything. I think that's the point. Um, well, and that was probably of the time. Yes, absolutely. I think I think it was a big deal that these kind of evangelical roadshows in the twenties. Why is it always quiet when your timer goes off? Um, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> it's like Nick. Please keep sp- speaking. Um, Okay, so uh, Bechdel um, test. No, I, 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 you know, I don't really know because I didn't really check because there are other female characters in it. But I'm uh, sure there are women um, talking to women because women are often. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to say yes or no, but I yeah. mean, if I had to guess, I'd say no. No, yeah, and I don't think that's the point of the film. Mm. People of color. Probably not, because we're talking 1920s. Yeah. Um, yeah, but people were religious, but I suppose you had a segregation of churches mm. so, or religious yeah. views. Okay, well, yeah, if, if, any, if any film is relevant to today, I believe mm. it's Elma Gantry. Listen, cutie, don't get nervous just because you read a book. You're as dumb as you ever were. Hey, thanks, Doctor. Yeah, but I don't mind. You know why? Because you're the great... Oh, yeah, no, no. Come here! No! I never seen you like that! Where? I don't know. Well, I'll wind up here in a couple of weeks. We'll go to Florida, maybe. Leave me alone. You know what I think? I think you're going nuts. Maybe. All right, calm down. Why not? I don't know. I just know I hate my life. There's a better kind. I know it. And if you read some of these books, you know it too. Maybe it's right what you say. I'm still done. But I know one thing I never knew before. There's a better kind of life than the one I got. Who are you? Okay, so with no further ado, start the timer. My film is called Born Yesterday, and it is directed by George Cukor, who is famous for... Philadelphia Story. Probably most famously, and this. Uh, my Fair Lady as well. Oh, My Fair Lady, mm. yes, which must have been later, yeah, because yeah. that's yeah, colour, and this yeah. is black and white. Yeah. So Born Yesterday was made in 1950, and Judy Holiday plays, an, uh, plays a character called Billy, and Billy is married to this guy who's known as a junkyard tycoon called Harry, who's played by Broderick Crawford, I don't know. I think he's Big Julie in Guys and Dolls. It's in uh, All the King's Men. That's his most famous film. I don't think I've seen that. Have I seen that? I don't know. Best film, 1949. Okay. Um, So this was a come down that Oscar (laughs) was born yesterday. Um, And uh, Billy, this, this is a film about class and about marriage and about law and about the emancipation of women and about corruption i would say so um harry and billy uh come to washington because uh harry wants to like buy off a congressman so the first double standard that appears in the movie is at the beginning like billy billy absolutely looks the part looks like this elegant lady obviously has money but when she opens her mouth she speaks like what someone would say like a kind of commoner from the bronx or something even though harry is exactly the same if not worse but the idea is is that he must have a wife who doesn't embarrass him and so there's a journalist sniffing around him called paul who's played by william holden famous screen star and um Paul and Billy kind of hit it off basically because Paul's trying to get some dirt on Harry and 
Um, Harry pays Paul to educate Billy in the ways of the world so she can be more like a lady. So, um, which is quite interesting what you just said, that George Kukul's obviously like got a thing about turning women from being Cockneys or street smart New Yorkers to uh, finally speaking ladies. It's semi-dramatic, semi-comedic, I would say. It's, it is quite funny, and it's based on a play in which I believe Judy Holliday was also in the yeah, star of the I play. She was, and yeah. she won Best Actress Oscar for this at the 1950 or 51 Oscars. Um, it's basically about class education and the fact that the law at the time means that um harry the marriage law at the time means that a, a wife can't testify against her husband so even though they're not married uh harry wants them to get married as soon as possible and he has this shady lawyer who i can't remember who he's played by he has a shady lawyer who follows him around and tells him all this stuff and in the meantime billy's kind of falling in love with paul who's just trying to teach her about the ways of the world but seems to see her for who she is and also um harry wants to transfer properties into billy's name so that he can pretend to be poorer off not pay taxes and all of that kind of thing but basically he needs her to be uh seems smarter and more elegant to convince this congressman to help him and pay off this congressman to i don't, I don't know exactly what it's for do you remember what it's for it's a business deal yeah. that would help him out yeah is it to do with like, yeah. like junk works or something yeah. not, not getting taxed or something like that but basically the reason why i like this film so much um primarily is Judy Holliday's performance because Billy is such a fantastic character who may not have what we call a formal education but has more street smarts and wit than any other character it's a really charming love story between her and Paul and also you have like your typical bad guy Harry and uh I'm not entirely sure Paul's a good guy either everybody's kind of morally corrupt to some extent in the film but I just found it so charming and winning to put this female character at the center of the story and play on what we see as a perfect wife or a good wife or how a woman must behoove herself and the juxtaposition between what she has to do and who she is and the fact that harry made all this money and is basically a two-bit gangster and he can be whatever he wants there are some parts in the film where actually as well the reason why i say it's kind of like a tragic comedy where he hits her he berates her he's absolutely horrible and people just put up with it but harry walks around like a bear in a china shop and that's where we get into um comparing this to the modern day so again, in the same way as The Contender, this is a film about how women must behave in a different way or set a higher standard than men because men have more money, men have power, men have influence and people are scared of them. Harry is very much a Trumpian character. There's no point beating around the bush and he has a number of corrupt people around him. But it's also to do with the ability to influence and buy off lawyers and congressmen and whether that's something that's still happening today 
And the film, I'm not going to spoil it because I'm better than you, but um, the film has basically a happy ending, although it happens very quickly, where you have the street smart woman uh, get one over her not quite so smart but bullying husband. Mm. And it's, um, it's a very sweet, whether it's believable or not, ending. But that's not really what Born Yesterday is about. It's about fast talking witty conversation it's, it's almost it's almost Oscar Wildean but an American version I would say mm. where people are trying to outwit each other in the halls of power and influence yeah yeah and um, there's also a really good scene where they play cards, which <laughs> I enjoyed where basically yeah. it also shows how women sometimes have to hide their intellect and their um intelligence in case it upsets a man which is very much what uh, the current president of yeah. the u.s uh behaves like what did you think of born yeah yesterday? really good i mean i i second the performance of uh, judy holiday mm. I, I think she almost invented that um kind of squeaky kind of bronx Girl, now she's talking like this, yeah. you know that, that kind of thing. Because it, 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 I mean, but it doesn't feel like a caricature when she's doing. No, it works really well, but it, it, it's it's, it's often imitated. Because if there's that the, the actress in um, Singing in the Rain, the one who who was a really good silent actress, but then when it comes to talking, and, and then she starts talking, and she's like talking like oh, this. Yeah. I can't Not Debbie stand Reynolds, them, the other, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Debbie Reynolds has to sort of, yeah. and also like uh, Mia Farrow in Radio Days does a very similar sort of thing as well. I almost, feel, I, I think you've got to give credit there for uh, almost inventing a, a, a type of comedy and a style there. Well, that's almost like that Anna Farris character mm. in Lost in Translation. That's almost go, that's going up to modern day. Yeah, like. That wow, well, it's a bit like an airhead, isn't it? But it's not because the way Judy Holiday does it, she's not an airhead. She's just playing a part. Yeah. Whereas I think it's morphed, unfortunately, nowadays in modern cinema into you're an airhead. You're a bit silly. Yeah, it's it, unfortunately it's uh, it's it's a sort of she puts up, doesn't she? She essentially just she she doesn't. She doesn't see her place, or at least initially, she doesn't see her place um, as any higher than what she's got. Yeah, we haven't mentioned whether she's like Melania Trump, I mm. suppose, because I was thinking, I was focusing more on Harry, and you could argue that there's something there, although I don't think Melania's very likeable, whereas I think Billy is the most likeable character, and she's very much the heart of the film. I think there is a bit where she talks to a maid or something, but it, it's she hasn't really, it's not really Bechdel passing, although it might be a well, wife as well. I mean, if I was a cynic, I would say Judy Holiday was, in the in the context of the film, she's... Yes. she's Billy. Yeah, she's Billy. She looks attractive and she's picked up and finds herself in a marriage with a very powerful man and yes. takes advantage of it. And, and, it, and, is, and, that, and fair dues to her for doing that. I don't um, think that, but... I think the insinuation is that she loved Harry at the start. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. her lack of education no, right. means the love isn't necessarily what yeah. she deserves. Yeah. But she's certainly not just in think, it for I the think, money, but he treats her abhorrently. I think she actually alludes to that. At yeah. Some point. I'm sure she says, I'm sure when William Holden at one point asked her, and I'm sure she says, um, yeah, I used to. Ooh, we'll see. It goes quick. <laughs> yeah. Um,. Yeah, as you were saying, sorry. No, um, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, no, I was just saying that, yeah, I think you're right about that. And um, I think she does, um, did love him at one point, but um, kind of fell out of love. Well, not, maybe not fell out of love, but it, they, they, it, the relationship, the dynamic changed. It, 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 
something that's happening a lot, particularly at the moment, you'd say, in pandemic. So this is maybe less about politics and more about the other crisis that's um, affecting the world is that there's a lot more domestic violence Mm -hmm. going on at the moment unfortunately because people are forced under the same roofs and you know um, sometimes that has led to you know men abusing women uh, of their partners and um, I think there is a message there about if you just give a woman sufficient education and the means to leave she will see that the situation she has isn't quite as good but there's also the idea that a woman will make the best of a bad situation Mm. um because normally we don't necessarily have the power to change things we only have the power to try and make things better for ourselves what was the other film where judy holiday played the failed murderer oh I it's not witness for the prosecution it's a court remember. case but um i'm going well over now but um oh it was it's um, adam's rib isn't adam's it? rib yes yeah. so also if you want to catch her in that um she's quite but that's her character well, yeah if you don't mind Catherine hepburn talking 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 and spencer tracy <laughs> acting all befuddled yeah. <laughs> then fine but yes born yesterday still unfortunately very relevant in political, legal, and female emancipation circumstances mm. now. Okay, and now we're on uh, film number five, and I believe it is the uh, film The Longest Ago. Are you yes. ready? Hang on, wait, 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 go! Okay, um, so a film I saw just recently, um, it's on Amazon, I think, free, so I thought oh, oh, I'll yes, give that I a go. I didn't say where Born Yesterday was, I don't uh, know where I, I saw it. Uh, Netflix? Probably. Anyway, I don't want to eat into your time. Yeah, yeah, look at that, criminal. Um, yeah, the film The film is called uh, Meet John Doe. Um, it was done in about, I want to say 1940, maybe 41, uh, by Frank Capra. Um, uh, for those, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful yeah, life. I mean, you've obviously seen It's a Wonderful Life. He's done a few films, uh, Frank Capra, that, that are quite legendary. There's, did he do Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? He did, and he did It Happened One Night, so, and... Um, oh. Mr. D's Goes to Town, uh, Lost Horizon. He's done the, he, the Adam Sandler one. Um, I, I suppose It's a Wonderful Life is his most clinical work. But um, So Meet John Doe, yeah, stars um, Gary Cooper and uh, Barbara Stanwyck. And I think they've done about three films together, actually, and this was one of them, so to speak. Okay. So um, Barbara Stanwyck plays a about-to-be-sacked um, journalist working for a, a newspaper. Um, and why is she about to be sacked? Is they're just downsizing, uh, essentially? I don't think and she's. They the, get rid of the woman. I don't think. Well, I, I don't think she's the only one getting Pandemic sacked. Pandemic ring a bell. I think that there's an element of. Right, um, there's an element of. Of. Recession. Yeah, it's depression era. Okay. So, so it, you, you know, there's an element of everyone has to pay for this. Yeah. And on her way out the door, uh, as a sort of well almost like a screw you but not quite she writes this um big article um from somebody who she's made up called john doe's expressing just sort of discontent with the general uh, way that society's gone and how no one can get a job and what's happening and there's no truth anymore and blah 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 and saying that he's gonna kill himself i think it's on christmas eve or something he's gonna throw himself from top of a building on christmas eve um and it's depressing it is a bit depressing um now this this article does the rounds and everyone's like wow this is incredible blah 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 and and, and everyone starts calling in the paper so she gets called back in barbara stamping and says well 
you know, who, who's this John Doe? And she sort of thinks, oh, well, actually, I made him up. Um, it doesn't exist. Oh, so she doesn't say, I'm protecting my sources. No, she just, she just made him up. Yeah, she made him up. So they come up with a plan. The plan is to have somebody else come in, a, a, a nobody come in, give him a little bit of money, be and be John Doe. And that, that one, that person is Gary Cooper. And he he, he comes great, in. Great choice. Yeah, I know. It's like, I'll have Gary Cooper, if you don't mind. It was, it was either Gary Cooper or, you know, Humphrey Bogart, one of those. Um, he, he brings it. So he comes in. He's, he's He's a sort of uh, baseball pitcher who's a bit uh, like a, his arm's hurting or something like that. He can't really pitch anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing any justice there. And he brings him with him another character played by Walter Brennan, who's kind of his his moral guidance. Um, right. It's funny we all had one. And, um, and he, he kind of takes the money from Barbara Stanwyck and Co. Yeah. And he gradually, and, and he basically stays in a hotel room um, for, for much of the film. He, he does go out a little bit here and there. And he eventually becomes... John Doe um, his real name sort of gets forgotten and he, he becomes John Doe she's still and, and then what they do is they keep writing more at, she keeps writing more and more of these penning more and more of these letters that get published in the paper and he has to claim that he that he wrote them and stuff like that oh so basically John Doe's a literary sensation yeah but he got what, 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 what starts happening is yeah. she starts penning these speeches for him and he just goes out to crowds and he says them and, oh, and, and, he, and, and they, they all jump on it and again it's that same thing oh, it's all the crowds it's, it's all that all the crowd jumping on it and so on and so forth but obviously he's a bit of a fraud but yeah so be it so be it um, eventually however certain political forces particularly the person that owns the paper start to utilise it and start to realise that they can manipulate this to their own political advantage and that's what they start to do and starting to get the yeah. uh, resonance yeah. with the modern day yeah. um, <laughs> and um, they almost succeed but but not quite in the final analysis um uh, it, it all sort of unwinds. He, he, he gets revealed for the fraud that he is, um, and everyone feels a bit sorry for him. Barbara Stanwyck feels sorry for him, but she was quite. She played a big part in in his downfall anyway. If you think about her background to all this, um, so um, she's also a great writer. Yeah. Herself. So on, on on Christmas Eve, as per the original letter, he mm -hmm. goes to the top of this building or whatever it is um, with the intention of committing suicide. Oh my God! But he doesn't. Oh. Uh, that's because it's a Frank Capra yeah, that's it's, that is exactly it and it's not just that <laughs> everyone gets redeemed in the end even, even the big political bigwigs no who are trying there's no angel it's got an angel just his um, even the big political bigwigs they, they, yeah. they kind of come back from the edge and say oh we're sorry to a certain extent um, now I, I, I think there's a couple of points here firstly there's there's the, the power of the press and, and just what impact they can have and how people yes. buy into it but also the way that politicians will manipulate said press Especially if they are they are the owners of that press. Uh, and, and so, is, so, so sorry, I missed that. So, a politician owns that newspaper. I think. I think. I think. It's more not just him. It's not. He, he, he is just yeah. the owner of a newspaper. He's a very wealthy, old money type oh, person. So even though he's not a politician, he's influential. Yeah, he, he's very. Yeah. I, I, he's very influential. Is it someone famous? Mm, I don't. It, it maybe I, I didn't recognise okay, him. I'll look it up again while you carry. Um, you know, there's an obvious point there. I have a real bee in my bonnet about the way that the press, and in particular the TV news, operates these days. Yeah. And, and the way in which they frame stories. Um, and, and the way people jump on it. And, and, and you can't blame people for it. It's propaganda. They're going to believe it. Yes. And this is exactly what happens in this film by a news press, because it is 1940 after all. Yeah. Um, but behind the scenes of, of that newspaper, just like behind the scenes of every TV mm -hmm. news station now, there are political leanings, there are points to be made. Um, the, the, 
nothing that comes out of any left or right wing leaning news service does not have an ulterior motive i guarantee you um and the fact of the matter is they have whatever vow they had to the news has been long forgotten and it's all become about advancing a specific political goal mm, uh, and very uh, much like today and so i just think that uh, yeah if, if that's not relevant then i don't know what it is now it is a frank capra film as you said there's a there's a word called, there's a word that was invented for frank capra films it's called capricorn no that's so cool it's so cool isn't it <laughs> uh, and you can see why and you can see why because they really are they really ham it up it's so good um, not everyone likes Frank Capra. I mean, we all love It's a Wonderful Life, but he does hammer it quite hard. Like he did in Smith Goes to Washington. He really does. He, he firmly believes that people are so good that they will, they, will, they, will, they will come back. Whatever bad they've done, they will come back and everyone will hug each other at the end. And this, this has gone down as a couple... You're not really realistic here, are you, Frank? But Frank thought, thought that, that movies should be about... Uh, whatever story you're going to tell, ultimately everyone is redeemable at the end well I think that's quite a nice thing to, yeah. to have our last film about yeah. can I not hold on to some Capricorn if you want to watch pretty, meet, pretty if you want to watch meet John Doe free on Amazon Prime <laughs> ah, okay. um, there you go mm. um, I still haven't worked out who the no I don't just know says this is a contra- this is his most controversial film <laughs> Um, well, I can see, I can sort of see Don't why. Don't introduce him to Scorsese. Uh, by the way, Walter Walter Brennan. Um, he's he's a he's the a colonel. Great, he's a great actor, by the way, Walter Brennan. You is should. He yeah. the guy that owns the no, he's that. the guy that he he's kind of uh, he's um, Gary Co- Gary Co- Gary Cooper's kind of moral compass ah. throughout the film. Is he like after Boy Clarence? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. He, he's done a few films with Gary Cooper. He was in The Westerner with Gary oh, Cooper. Oh, he is after Boy Clarence. I was joking. He is the actual guy. Is it? Is it? Is it the angel? I don't know. He looks a little bit. He looks a little bit like the angel. Oh, he might do. I don't know. No, he's not. I'm just. I'm just like. All, but, all old white what, men, but, they all look the same. Yeah, right. Uh, but Walter Brennan, he, he, uh, he's, a, he's. Have you ever seen? Um, you have seen actually uh, the Westerner uh, with. Um, Another film with Gary Cooper. Uh, yes. Uh, he plays a, one and a half minutes. He plays Judge Roy Bean in that. As well, oh, right. yeah, he's yeah. been in a few films with Gary Cooper actually. Yeah, he's he plays a really good role, which is he's constantly saying to Gary Cooper, you know, you're just taking the money and you're sitting here and you're saying that you wrote all this, but you didn't. What's wrong with walking away from all this and us just riding the rails like we used to do in the olden days? And Gary Cooper, oftentimes throughout the film, says, "You're right, let's just go." But then he seems to always get dragged in back into it. Barbara Stanwyck, or is he yes, gay he is. Text? He is in love with Barbara Stanwyck, uh, but um, they don't really express it until the very very end it's not a well designed love story he never really says no enough that to sounds her. like box ticking for a yeah, female yeah. members of the audience yeah. or you know that's that sexist but you know at the time I, I, I think it, I think in the very final moment she sort yeah. of expresses a sort of a reciprocal love for him but it's 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 not really central to the story I wouldn't say no and I'm kind of I don't really want it to be by no. the sounds of it no but it's a good film um, okay if you like Frank Capra it is, it is there's a certain taste involved with Frank Capra mm-hmm. films you either like them or you don't I think um, if you like picking that corn from your teeth yeah indeed um, you've still got 25 seconds 25 seconds you're getting too good at this um, well, I, is, is, does it pass the Bechdel test or any other women at the paper uh, women around no I would no I, I don't even recall anyone other than Barbara Stanley yeah. being one in one person it. who's a person of colour possibly don't remember okay but certainly not focus no it's a Gary Cooper, Barbara Stanwyck vehicle more than anything else. Yeah, but it is interesting that that is now, if I get my maths correct, 80 years ago? Oh, there you go. 80 years ago. 80 years ago. Mm. 
Okay. So, we've come to the end of our five films. Yeah. What have we learned? But uh, what have we learned? <laughs> nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> what, what, what politicians learn from these films? Nothing. Um, I think what I've learned, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, is that there, there is a certain... It could be. It depends on how positive or negative you're feeling. It's depressing to think these things have happened before and we haven't learned. But also, it's comforting to know that bad times happened before in politics and the world was able to pull itself up mm. and still redeem itself. Like, we have had good world leaders. America has had excellent presidents. Yeah. It's also had some terrible ones. Um, but at the, you know, two minutes to midnight, when things did happen badly, when there was the attempted coup at the Capitol, um, people still rallied together and now Donald Trump has been impeached twice. Well, I think, I think I'd say overall my reading of it is not dissimilar to yours, which is that, yes, similar things, similar concerns have existed in the past. And yet the structure, democratic structures and, and the sort of surrounding structures of democracy, in particular sort of the press and stuff like that, uh, they do seem to survive. And, and ultimately our you know, freedoms seem to get preserved out of all of it. No matter, no matter who's in power, no matter how nefarious uh, press interests or self-interest might be, um, Ultimately, we, 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 do seem to, we do seem to end up with a society which is pretty good, all things being equal. Oh, that's quite positive of us. Yeah. That's good. So, in conclusion, Seven Days in May, The Contender, Elmer Gantry, Born Yesterday. Meet John Doe. And Meet John Doe. Five films we recommend. Yes. In politics. Who knew? This is all we'll be doing in 2021. <laughs> I hope next episode is going to be top films with puppies and kittens. Well, I was thinking how science fiction films relate to US politics. So, yeah, well, you can run your own <laughs> podcast on that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, as ever, for making it to the end of this episode. And thanks to Nick for bringing his A-game in politics and in film. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at beyond underscore Bechdel. And that's B-E-C-H-D-E-L. And if you want to email us, we're at beyondbeck at gmail.com. Let's hope for a better political 2021 to play us out the opening scene from Elmer Gantry I think you'll be able to make out Burt Lancaster's soaring vocals until next time bye but I'm on my way it's a mighty hard climb